Hello and welcome to another episode of the Project Purple Podcast. I'm Dino Verley, founder and CEO of Project Purple, and we have another interview for you coming up with a very special guest. But first, I wanted to give you a quick update. At the time of recording this episode, we are rolling into the holiday season, and we've had runners having finished races in Berlin, London, Twin Cities, Chicago, New York City, and other events across the country. We also have had gyms and group fitness teams hosting push-pull events and all sorts of other fundraisers. And I just wanted to say a big thank you to everyone who is helping to spread awareness, raise funds, and help us fight for a world without pancreatic cancer. If you'd like to see how you can get involved, visit projectpurple.org and follow Project Purple on all social media channels. Happy holidays from all of us here at Project Purple. And without further ado, let's meet our special guest today coming to us all the way from El Paso, Texas, Thomas, Tommy Olaveras. Tommy, thank you for joining us here on the Project Purple podcast. Hi, how are you doing? Good, good. Did I I pronounce the last name correctly? Yes, that's fine. Awesome, awesome. Well, we were just playing catch up here, uh, meeting for the first time before we hit record here, and, and I'm excited to share your journey today with our audience. Um, as I said before, we hit record. The first segment is always our guest opportunity to share their journey. And as I said uh, before, you can stay as high level as you want. Um, you can go as far back as you want. And with that, Tommy, the mic is yours. Okay. Well, thank you. Wow. I guess my journey started uh, about two, three years ago, just before I was even diagnosed. Uh, I started getting. Uh, I got pancreatitis and me, I work in the oil field. So I work out of town. Um, I live in a man camp when I'm up there. I just didn't feel right one day. It was like, something's wrong, something's wrong. So I call off work, stayed at the man camp all day and I just never got better. I was like, all right, I'm gonna go to the clinic. Drove myself to the clinic. I get there, they run all kinds of tests on me. Next to no doctor comes in. He's like, okay, we're admitting you. I'm like, what? And he goes, yeah, you, uh, your levels are off the charts and everything. I was like, he goes, yeah. He goes, we're admitting you right now. I said, okay, well, I need to run back to the camp. And he is, the doctor's like, what do you mean? He goes, I said, I have to get all my stuff because uh, I have sleep apnea. All my work stuff was in my room. I was like, if I don't get this, they're going to steal it. So he goes, how did you get here? I was like, I drove in and I walked in. He's like, what? He goes, people with your levels, they go, they're writhing on the floor in pain. They get brought in by an ambulance. I was like, no, I drove in. He goes, wow. I said, so he actually let me go. I got my stuff. I was in there for about a week. Got released. My levels got back down to normal. Three months later, that's when the pain one came. And up in uh, Odessa Midland area, hospitals are far away. And I'm writhing on the floor in pain in the sand. So I worked at a sand mine. They came, got me. I said, call an ambulance. They're like, no, they just threw me in a truck. And they drove me to the hospital. I get there again. I'm there for four or five days. They release me. 
I come home, go to my doctor. My doctor recommended me to a gallbladder specialist, whatever. And uh, I go and see him. And he's like, you never should have been released from the hospital. He's like, you could have died. He's like, they should have did surgery right then. He goes to remove your gallbladder. And I said, well, they didn't. So he goes, well, I'm going to do it. Took it within a couple of days. Boom, it was out. Thinking I'm great again. All right, go back to work. This year, everything started again. And I go, I'm out working in the sand mines again. Just wasn't feeling good. I had lost from, I want to say from about March till now, I lost about 85 pounds. And we didn't know why I was losing weight. We thought it was just stress. And my job is very physical and everything. Working in this Texas heat, it's you get 116 degrees sometimes and you're outside working. So not thinking I was eating normally and everything. And next thing I know, I just, I started getting sick. And again, ended up in, at work. They're like, you need to go to the clinic. So went to the clinic. Sure enough, levels are out of whack again. I was like, no, got admitted. Sure. The doctors, like I said, you're in the oil fields. The doctors up there aren't the best. So they released me after four or five days and come home. All right. Nothing. I feel good. Go back up to work again. The very next hitch. I start getting jaundice in the middle of the hip. I noticed my eyes turning yellow. I was like, something's wrong. And I didn't feel bad, though. I didn't feel bad at all. I just knew something was wrong. I was like, okay, I can finish the hitch. My, the day I was coming home, I, was, I knew I had a doctor's appointment. And I drive home, go straight to the doctor. She's like, uh, yeah, you're jaundice. I said, yeah, I can see that. My eyes were yellow. She's like, I'm going to schedule you for a CT, MRI, all these tests. So, all right. so I go through all these tests that week. And then uh, that Friday, I had woke up, went, did a test again. I think it was the MRI or CT. I'm not sure which one. They had me do it twice. And uh, after that, me, my wife, and son went to breakfast. Then it was around lunchtime. We decided, oh, let's go to the movies. So we went to the movies. We're sitting in the movies. I get a call from my doctor in the middle. And I said, well, I need to take this. I walk outside the theater. And they're like, uh, my doctor's like, you need to get to the emergency room right now. And I was like, what? She goes, yeah. She goes, where are you at? I said, well, I'm right down the street from the doctor's office. I'm at the movie theater. She's like, stop at the office, pick up this paperwork. This will get you in there right now. She goes, there's a bed waiting for you. So they must have called the hospital like instantly. So I messaged my wife to come out of the theater. I was like, we have to leave. I need to go to the, and she, of course, she didn't tell your wife, she kind of panicked. My son, he doesn't know what's going on. He's only eight. So 
we go to the emergency room. They take me in real fast and I did no test, no nothing on me. And the one doctor comes in and I, I, this guy, if I could ever get his name, oh, he just came in and basically told me, you're going to die. Basically just suck this up. You have cancer and people with this die within a couple months. I was like, what? You've done nothing. You don't know nothing. How could you give this prediction already? And I'm sitting there like, how am I going to tell my wife? And they're in outside in the waiting room. And I'm like, I'm just sitting there just devastated. And I'm like, oh, my God. And my my father had died of this like nine years ago. And I knew when he was diagnosed, he died within four months. But he never went through any treatment at all. He did nothing. He just went went home and died. Yeah, I'm sitting there. Then another doctor comes and sees me and she's like, we're going to do some more tests on you and everything, but let's just get you in a room. So I was there Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Um, like I said, my liver, the mass blocked uh, the ducts in my liver. So that's why I got all jaundice. And so they put a stint in me to start draining the bilirubin out. And I had a like a colostomy bag hanging outside of me, draining it. So I was there for like 13 days. And during that 13 days, my doctor, Dr. Aloba, she would come in, check on me. And this other doctor, uh, a gastrointestinal doctor, he came in probably about the third day. And he was like, uh, hey, uh, we think we caught this early. Uh, he goes, your masses doesn't look like it's that big. He goes, would you like to get uh, speak with a specialist? I was like, yes. I said, of course. I said, I want the best care I can get I mean, to help me survive this. I mean, I'm 52 years old. I was like, I'm not supposed to be dying this young. And he even said, no, he goes, you're very young to have this. This is this is something that happens to people in their 60s and 70s, not your age. And he's like, whatever you do, he goes, do not let them do surgery here in El Paso. He goes, they will kill you here. He goes, they're not specialists. He goes, they really don't know what they're doing. He goes, I'm going to send your information out throughout the state and to all the specialists. And one of them will reach out to you. I was like, well, thank you. And then like I said, my doctor, Dr. Aloba, she kept coming in and encouraged. She's like, no, we caught this early. She goes, it's small. She goes, you're going to do chemo. She goes, she goes, you're going to be fine. I was like, thank you. Relief. I mean, my wife, she stayed with me the whole time I was in the hospital. And she was like, it was encouraging. It was like, okay. Now we're on a path. I mean, there's a light at the end of the tunnel. But this one doctor, he kept coming in and basically telling us to, there's really nothing that they could do for me. And 
basically to go home and just wait to die. And I was like, so I, I, I gotta. Ju- I want to jump in here real quick. So th- this was a guy at the hospital who just kept coming in. You know, he was like a. What, he was just like a rounding doctor, physician, attending like an attending physician, maybe or like just someone. I there. have no idea, but he came in during that thirteen days. He came in about four times, awesome. and like I said the very first. He was the first doctor I seen, and I just could not believe. I mean, he would say that to a patient. I and mean, I, I was like, this is just unbelievable. And like I said, yeah. the other two doctors were great. I mean, Aloba, she's still my doctor right now, my oncologist. And then like I said, the other one, he recommended me for the specialist. And San Antonio did call. And I've been out there a couple times, spoke with them. They've done tests on me. And they're very encouraging uh, like I said, once we went and spoke with them, they did the test on me and everything. They were like, okay, we could do this and we could do that. And then my wife, she's, she does a lot of research. Me, I'm like, no, I don't want to know the horror stories. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll find mm-hmm. them out on my own. Like I said, my father passed to this. And actually both my, my stepfather and my dad both passed of cancer. And it was just like, I know enough. I've seen how they went. I don't, I don't want to see this. I don't want to hear the horror stories. And my wife, she wants to know everything. So she goes up and researches everything. And I was like, no. And then right now I said, I've been going through chemo a few times now. And I've been lucky that none of the side effects have, I haven't felt any of the side, the only side effect I've had is that I get a runny nose mm. a couple days after it and then uh, fatigue. I mean, I get wore out like two, three days after I just, I feel my body just like where I need just a rest. And, and like I said, like today here, I feel great. I mean, it's just, it comes and goes. I know I'm limited on what I'm able to do. I've noticed that is like, I get tired easier. Yep. And so it's like my wife, she doesn't want me to do anything. She's like, (laughs) sit down and she's done all the cooking. She's doing all the dishes and everything. And the only thing I've done is my own laundry. And other than that, she doesn't want me to do that. Now, if I get up, like she'll be sitting in the living room and I'll go in the kitchen after she's made dinner I'll start this. Why are you doing it? I was like, I have the energy. Let me do it. I was yeah. like, I was like, hey, we may go through a time where I'm not able to do anything. So let me do this stuff while I can now. I was like, and she's like, well, just understand that you're gonna get. I said, no, I understand that. Like yesterday, I was doing my laundry, got about halfway through and folding, and well, next thing you know, I was like man, I'm tired. I was like, I need just to stop, sit down, relax. And she goes, no, she goes, it's going to wear you out. And I see it does. I I don't have the energy I used to have. And so I, that's been my journey so far. And like I said, I, I found my wife actually found you guys on a 
one of the sites. Like I said, she reached searches everything, and then uh, you guys sent a care package to me, and my wife was like, "Oh, this is for you." I go, well, "What is it?" And I was like, "Oh, it's for Project Purple." I was like, "What's this?" I thought you guys sent me a backpack, a fleece, which I really appreciate. There's a lot of people don't know when you go through chemo, it gets cold. I mean, for some reason, you're really cold. And I was like, oh, I was like, I said, well, I'm going to look for these guys. And I found you guys on Facebook, start following your page. And then uh, someone had posted something and I commented. And then uh, the marketing director reached out to me and was like, hey, Tom, would you like to be on a podcast and share your journey? And I told him, yeah, that's, I have no problem. I said, actually, and I told him, actually, that's what I'm doing on TikTok because I, once I started researching a little and finding out that this is one of the most deadliest cancers out there, I was like, wow. I was like, and then I had posted on my Facebook about it. And I get a lot of friends that have reached out to me in messages and letting me know is like, hey, my father and my mother, whatever, they were diagnosed with this and they pass real fast. But from what I've learned about this, though, is most people don't get diagnosed with this because the pancreas is all the way in the back. You don't know. There's really not no signs. And they get diagnosed when it's in stage four. It's already a huge mass and everything. And there's really not much to do about it. And I think where I got lucky was my mass blocked the ducts in the liver and it gave us a sign something else is going on. And luckily I mine's the size of a grape. And I said, my, one of the guys I work with, his father-in-law has it and his was the size of an orange. And uh, he said his, he's still alive, but I, He's been going through chemo and everything for years now. And I was like, oh, I was like, tell your father-in-law I, there's places to go and to think that maybe he can get some help. But I was like, I'm glad I was able. To, mine was caught pretty early. And I said, when my father's passed of this, he was diagnosed. He came he called all of us back to the house, me and my uh, two sisters. And uh, he was like, I have cancer and I'm going to die. And we're like, well, what do you mean? And he had kept everything quiet. I'm the whole time. And he just said, no, I'm, I'm not going to go through treatment. I'm, and he goes, I'm just going to die at the house. And we couldn't say this. That's his, that was his decision. Yeah. Um, so I, we respected it. And I said, within four months, he passed. So I, I'm going to throw a, a question in here first that I, I, I've been taking notes and it's so fascinating, Tommy. And, and thank you for sharing your journey here. But the, the biggest question, and you just talked about your dad since you've been diagnosed, has there been any genetic testing? Because we know here in the United States that 10%, up to 10% of the cases for pancreatic cancer 
come from some sort of genetic mutation. And if you have a, a you know one or two first line relatives, in particular a parent, the odds are pretty high, right? Um, that potentially right. this could be something under the hood, as as you know we say um, that you know genetically there was something that you know because you're pretty healthy beforehand, you're working outside, you know you're active. Um, you're not set it. You weren't, a, you weren't living a sedentary life. Um, so we can't blame that on that. I mean, that maybe, you know, people listening, you know, being in the oil industry, maybe there's something environmental along the ways, but you know, we're not going to go down that rabbit hole because that's a, you know, we don't know. There's just not enough data and there's just not enough evidence. But what we do know though, genetically though, that there could be something done. So has genetic testing been done till this point? Yes, we we have done some, and uh, they're not sure. Um, my doctor I spoke to here in El Paso, she said that there's no genetic link, and that there's nothing. But they also did test at the specialist, so let's see what they say. But, so that uh, hasn't come back yet. The that testing was, the specialist hasn't came back yet. Okay. But, uh, we, I want to see because I'm not the only one who's had stomach issues. As my niece has, she's had stomach issues for years, and I had to tell her on Thanksgiving. I said, "Hey, this may be genetic." I was like, "You have had issues." I said, "Since you were in middle school," I said, "You need to go get tested. Check this." I said, "Because this is nothing to play with." I was like. Your grandfather waited too long. I was mm -hmm. like, and look what happened to him. I said, me, I was like, and she went, I hadn't seen my niece and since the summer. And during that time, I said, from the time I seen her in the summer till Thanksgiving, I probably lost 40, 50 pounds. Wow. So when she seen me at that time, it was actually, I look good now as I put on weight. I mean, I was all sunk in and everything and she just i mean she started crying mm -hmm. and i mean i felt bad for her and everything but i told her you need to get tested and then i had one of my cousins reach out that she last year found out that she had a tumor on her pancreas i was like well i said this and i told her i said this may be genetic i said you guys need to i said just yeah, everyone in the family needs to go get checked that that well that I mean in in I'll I'll just leave it that in this point like so that's the one thing I think that's really fascinating in this space in the last ten years like there hasn't been enough of I, I mean I think we we have gotten better at certain things right but if we compare this disease to other cancers like lung cancer lung cancer made a major uh, curative treatment a couple years ago um, it's a game changer you know people who were stage four are now living they're still alive they're they're living quality of life you know everything has gone up dramatically. We haven't seen that in this cancer. Um, you know, other cancers, breast cancer, you know, breast cancer, you know, was, was a killer. Now it's, you know, it's like 90, 92% of, of not just females, but males, because males get breast cancer, you know, are surviving beating breast cancer, you know, cause they've been able to make strides in that disease. The one thing I think that we have realized in that same span here for pancreatic cancers, genetics, and that that's really a key to it. And and where that comes in is really, um, I think, in early detection, right? So you know, if you are, you know, if you have family members that have pancreatitis, if they have these cysts, um, you know, on the pancreas, which are common as well, 
you know, those need to be, you need to be in surveillance. You need to like knowledge is power, right? Like we were talking a little bit before we hit record about knowledge, you know, and, and how these systems, you know, doctors, I go back to, you know, this, this idiot doctor that kept coming in and giving you kind of a hard time and thank God that you found some real advocates in your corner because that's truly empower, powerful. But from a patient perspective, the more knowledge you have, the more power you have, because here in the United States, um, in our medical system, no one's going to give you anything unless you ask. And a lot of people don't know what to ask for. So we hope that these podcasts that we put out, you know, the, the tidbits, the advice that we give from patients that kind of have navigated through that, hopefully help the next family that go through that. But, you know, genetics is such an important piece. So, um, you know, I'd be interesting to see what the doctors, the specialists come back with, Tommy, because the one thing that we also know with this disease in particular, let's say you have a BRCA mutation, which is one of the most common, the BCR, BRCA mutation, either one or two. There's actually a treatment protocol that we know prolongs life and gives patients a very high quality of life. And then also does really well against those tumors. So it gets to the point where, you know, maybe resection, which is the one way to cure this, you know, in terms of having surgery of just eliminating the cancer, you know, we know with, with genetic mutations in particular BRCA and ATM, Lynch syndrome, or a couple other genetic mutations that we know about that are responsible for causing pancreatic cancer. If patients have those mutations and the disease is from one of those mutations, we have protocols that work really well. So it, it becomes really a game changer, you know? So I, I hope that is the case. You know, the, the other thing too is, I know there's there was just a, a massive report that just came out recently within the last couple months that talked about, you know, there's families potentially like yours that have a very high incidence of these cancers but they don't have these genetic mutations that we know about. So it could be something that is of unknown um, occurrence, which is something they just haven't identified. So what that means is science wants to look at it even further, right? That potentially, you know, you're still at high risk um, from a from a familial standpoint. They just can't identify the gene right now. But that's right. not to say that those treatments may not be a game changer as well, right? So that's where this is knowledge is power, right? Like if you have family members, if every, you know, it's it's not just a, a weird coincidence, I guess I would say, if you have multiple family members, especially first line members, you know, aunts, uncles, uh, nieces, nephews, you know, in that first line bloodlines, that uh, that potentially there there is something under the hood, as I said before, that potentially could be the reason why so many people in a certain family have like GI cancers. Right. Like uh, me, my dad, we're the only ones that we know that have been diagnosed with this. But like I said, I've had cousins and then my niece, they're going through there. And like when I was diagnosed, the doctors were like, how old are you? I was like, I'm 52. And they're like, this is young for someone your yeah. age to get this. And I'm like, what? They go, yeah, this is People that get this are in their 60s, 70s. They're later on retired and everything. And so, and it's something that a lot of people, you can get this when you're young. And once I realized this and have done a little research, I was like, you know what? I, For everyone, I think testing needs to be done earlier. I mean, this needs to be done 
in your 40s, get tested. Maybe even in your 30s, get tested. I mean, do the MRIs, do the CT scans and everything. I mean, this needs to be part of a yearly physical once we hit a certain age. And I'm not saying 50s, 60s. No, if we can detect this earlier, I mean, just say you do. I mean, heck, we have to go in for our colonoscopy when we're 50, right? Yeah. So uh, why can't this be done as a routine too? I mean, why can't our MRIs and CTs to, to detect this earlier in people? Because what, like I said, the research that I've done is most people don't get detected till it's too late. Yeah. I mean, the mass is huge already. And there's, a, I mean, I, I believe early detection is going to be our best way to find a cure or better quality of life, longer life. I said, okay, let's do the chemo. Let's do the Whipple, whatever I Whatever is able to get done, the earlier it's detected is going to be the best. I, I said when my father was diagnosed, boom, he was instantly stage four. But he never had any of the signs of, oh, my back hurts, all oh, this, this. He yeah. was just, I mean, like I said, the pancreas, it's all the way in the back. You don't feel nothing. I mean, yeah. So that's what, I, that's what I think needs to get done is earlier this needs to be get put in the testing for our physicals at an earlier age say 45 i don't disagree with you tommy and i think this is where the power of this podcast comes you know like sharing these stories right you were like you said young guy super active healthy um you know you weren't you didn't live a sedentary life you had noticed some of these things and you know um I, I, I'm a man of faith. Uh, I don't go to church every weekend. Uh, but, you know, maybe there's a higher calling on, you know, why, you know, a certain specialist, you know, that GI guy there, or that GI specialist there, you know, recognized something and, and you know, pushed and advocated for you, you know, to get, uh, you know, to get things moving along, because that is really critical, um, you know, in that I want to come back to you. So where you are today, so you're doing the chemotherapy right now. I know we talked previous, like it's, it's a bit of a travel to see these guys because from where you are in El Paso to get to Houston. So you guys are managing that you're making that best. So is the plan just to continue this chemotherapy regimen and then hopefully opt for surgery at some point? Is that what they're telling you? Well, I mean, the specialist right now, when we first seen them, uh, she's, said it was a group of them I, I spoke to like 10 12 doctors that yeah, yeah. and which was great i mean because they were all very encouraging I mean, so if you don't just go to your oncologist go to a specialist i mean, yep. they're going to give you the best knowledge that you can i mean, we knew that they were going to say okay we're going to you're either going to do chemo or you're going to do the surgery and then do the chemo. So we knew either way I was going to do chemo, but now we're in the part where, okay, I've started the chemo and my doctor here, she's great. She's like, okay, you've spoken to the specialist and she's like, what are they saying? And we told her that either way I was going to start chemo or surgery either way. I'm doing it no matter what. We knew that. And she's like, okay, well, she scheduled me for, our, I'll get my third 
dose of chemo here, uh, I think the 13th. Then I go see the specialist, the 22nd, and then they will tell me what the plan is. Plan if is, they're going to okay. continue with the chemo or they're going to try to. And with the surgery, too, it's just the placement of the mass where it is because there's veins and everything that are critical mm -hmm. right there that they have to make sure that they're able to do the surgery. So right now, as I said, I went through the chemo and my wife, she's all for me doing the chemo and she wants me to do a full round to shrink the mass even more to make it less dangerous for the surgery. And I was like, no, I understand that. And she goes, we, I go, we just have to see what the doctors say, what the specialists say. If they say, okay, yeah, go ahead, finish your round of chemo. We'll finish the round of chemo. I said, I have no problem with that. I said, if they say, okay, we can cut it out and then you do chemo after. I said, I have no problem with that. I said, we aren't the doctors. They're the doc. They're the ones that are going to tell us what is going on. And she's like, no, she goes, but she goes, right now, she goes, we're just, we're in a good place. And I said, my doctor, the last time I seen her, she was happy. She was like, did the chemo get you sick? I was like, no. She's like, nothing. I was like, no. I said, I said, I was a little tired. I said, a couple of days after, I said, but no, I didn't get sick or nothing. No nausea. She's like, all right. She's not, I've actually put on a little weight, which she was really happy about. And so I was like, I've been feeling just like the day before Thanksgiving. It's just all of a sudden, everything just like a weight was lifted. And I just felt great. And I don't, I got my appetite. I just, I've been eating like a horse. And my wife's like, well, that's good. She goes, because I had lost, I was 235 and I got down to 155. Wow. And I hadn't weighed that since high school. So like, I, I feel that we're heading in the right direction. And like I said, we just got to continue with this journey, see what the doctors say. And okay, that's all, that's all you can do right now. And like I said, don't think that, oh my God, yeah, you hear cancer. Everyone's, oh, as I, I told my family back home, they're like, my mom's freaked out. My aunts and uncles, they're all like, they call me at least once or twice a week is check, are you okay? And I was like, yeah, I'm fine. And I appreciate it. Don't get me wrong and everything, but it's just like, everyone thinks cancer when they hear it, it's, it's a death sentence. And I honestly don't think it is. And I think my journey is hopefully shows people that it's not. And that I can give people encouragement. Hey, look, this is beatable. This is, you can live a good life still. And you don't need to, like that doctor said, go home and die. I mean, you don't have to. I mean, like I said, I, I'm actually happy. I'm just bored. <laughs> just bored as heck. I'm stuck at home. Thank God the World Cup is on. At least that gives me <laughs> something to watch. But I'm like, it's just 
you got to take it day by day. And I'm so glad you guys reached out to me because I'm like, wow, I was like, this is kind of neat and everything. And I said, I want to speak to you after this because I I believe there's more I could do to help promote this. Uh, if I know some influential people that I may be able to get you guys in contact with. So, hey, let's spread the word and hopefully find a cure. Hey, let's get some early detection. Let's, let's find this cure. Well, we, 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 we just can't let the foot off the gas pedal, as I like to say here, Tommy. Sure. So we, we, I, I love all that. I, I got a question for you. I got a couple questions here. Um, but one that just came up, uh, I had it here, and then I just wrote a note. And you just had some very, very powerful things. But I, the question is, your mindset, the mindset you have and the things you just said, like, hey, this is cancer. I'm not going to, you know, I'm going to live my life. I'm bored, but you know, that it, I'm not worried about, you know, all this other stuff. That's, you know, like the doctor said, you know, what are you, what are you doing? You know, like put that aside. Where does that mindset come from? Did, did you have a moment or is that something that, you know, sometimes I see, and the reason why I ask is sometimes I see patients, like they go through like the lowest of the lows and then they realize like, Hey, I'm still here, but I'm on the very bottom and I'm going to fight, fight, fight. And I'm not going to let this thing dictate or people just have it. Like that's the way they've always lived their life. They've had experiences and it's just, they roll with the punches and you just go. Uh, <laughs> part of my language, but I'm an asshole. I just straight up like that. I've always been an asshole. I I do not bend to no one. I mean, there's the way I see it. And it's always been this way. My whole life is. That's called stubbornness, Tommy. That's not, that's not asshole. That's like stubbornness, right? Well, I don't know. It depends on who you ask. Trust me. (laughs) Uh, But uh, I've always been the guy that you either like me you love me or you hate me. I don't care. <laughs> I, I'm not here to please anybody. I'm here to live my life. That's, I mean, it. that's it. And I said, my, I'm just going to be me. I'm not going to conform to anything. Oh, you need to do this. No, I'm going to live my life. This is it. I'm not, you're not going to break me. I'm just very stubborn. I mean, I just was like, they say, we're going to break you. No, I'm going to break. I'm going to make your life miserable before <laughs> you even think you're going to break me. And it's, that's what it is with me is I'm just very, I'm that guy's like, no, come and test me. I was like, we're going to see who wins. I mean, and I always win. I mean, I'm that guy that I'm going to fight. I'm going to fight always to just be me and I'm going to be me. You can't, that's all you can do. You can't make everybody happy. I mean, that's just what it's like. You got everyone reaching out. Oh, you need to do this. You need to do that. You know what? I lived like that for years. I was miserable. You can't please everyone. The only one you need to please is yourself. And if you're happy in your life, that's all that matters. I mean, money doesn't matter. I mean, friends don't matter. I mean, nothing matters. I mean, as long as you're happy. I mean, I've been 
wealthy, grew up pretty well off. At one point in my life, I was very, I was in a homeless shelter. I and mean, a lot of people don't know that I was in a homeless shelter. And then my mom, she was like, why are you doing this? She goes, this is beneath you. I was like, mom, I said, you know what? You grew up poor. She's like, yeah. I said, I grew up wealthy. I mean, my house was the Kool-Aid house. We had all the toys. Every All our friends were there. Everything I said, it's my time now to be poor. I said, to struggle. I said, for what I earn later in life, I've earned. I've built on my own. I said, you struggled. And now look where you're at. I said, you're comfortable. I said, you did this on your own. You and dad, you built this. I said, I need to struggle. I was like, because everything was always pretty easy for me. I said, no, this is my time. And she's, she looked at me. She goes, she stopped bothering me about it. She goes, you're right. She goes, you kids have. And after that, and now my life's good. I, I said, I stopped doing the pleasing. Money's not going to make you happy. No matter what they say, yeah, it doesn't. No, no. I mean, no. it just gets you more toys, and yeah, I mean, I live a comfortable life now. My wife has a good job, and when I'm working, I make great money. I mean, yeah, we do things. I travel, but it's not like oh, I got a million dollars in the bank. I don't need to. No, it's just hey, I do things. I'm happy. Hey, I don't have all these toys and everything, but I don't want them. I was like, I have one friend, he brags to me, oh, you don't have a Harley. I was like, and? I never <laughs> wanted one. I was like, so what's the big, if I wanted one, I'd go buy one. I don't yeah. want one. And you make yourself, be happy with your life. And I said, I am right now very happy. I've been happy here for the last 15 years. Just living my life, and like I said, this diagnosis is—I'm not gonna let it define who I am. I'm gonna be me, no matter what. And me, like I said, I'm an asshole. <laughs> I'm gonna tell you straight up the truth. You don't like it? Well, that's your problem. But you get your feelings hurt about the truth. That then you have an issue with yourself. But I'm going to tell you like it is, whether you like it or not. I and mean, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. That's life. And a lot of people need to hear it. I mean, they don't, they need to see, hey, you're not living this great life that you're portraying on Facebook and TikTok. I know your dirty secrets. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I think what you said, though, is so powerful, Tommy, because, uh, you have we you have to be happy with yourself, right? And and this is where I think like coming back full circle here to this mindset, you know, like you're fighting for your life, but if you're not, if you don't have your ducks in a row, it ain't gonna work, right? Right. Anytime you face any type of challenge, any type of adversity, if you don't have your ducks in a row, it just doesn't work, right? And that's what yourself, um, 
you know, and, and so it's, it's powerful, man. And, and I think, you know, that I, I appreciate the honesty. I, well, this podcast has always been about openness and honesty. We've gone down so many different paths and, you know, it's not our, it's not my place to judge. Right. It's not my place to say this or that. Um, and, and I think that's what's so powerful uh, a lot of times when we get into these conversations. Uh, because sometimes, to your point, like people need to have those hard conversations, right? Like, but those hard conversations are how we change things, right? Like, you, we can talk about anything. We want to talk about race, religion, poverty, wealth. Like, those are hard conversations, you know, but you've got to have those hard conversations with yourself and with other people in order to do that, right? And that's how I, I think, I believe that's how change happens, real change, you know, real, if we're going to really, change the world for a better place for good we got to have hard conversations and and you know bringing back the story about the doctor doctor's an asshole you know like he had no right to say that right to come in and, and to me you know that's where the system is broken you know this system here in the United States we live in a great country people you know we talked about this you're right on the border you see it every day people are you know killing themselves to get into this country. I'm not going down the path whether that's right or wrong or legal, whatever. I don't. We're, we're not going there. But it's a great country to live in, man, and and it is one of the best countries in the world. I truly believe that. The system's a little bit broken, um, you know. But that's what we're here to help change, you know. Share stories, advocate for patients, give them the power, give them the knowledge, so that you know um, the next time that happens. Hopefully it doesn't happen, first of all. But if it does, you got to advocate for yourself or the doctor may, might be listening to this podcast knows not to say that. you know, Or maybe there's a nurse in the room listening. Maybe there's a nurse listening to this podcast that's that's had that happen to them, you know, not to them personally, but seen that happen to them at their workplace in Indiana or Chicago or San Francisco. And they're going to speak up and say, hey, like that's got to stop. Right, we got to give these patients hope um, and provide them with with solutions, and not just like, "Hey, go home and get your fears in order," because uh, that's just wrong. Right, it's just like I said. I understand, and like I said, I looked into this, and like I said, in a lot of cases with people, this, like I said, it's detected very late, and that's Correct. why. I believe early detection. And I said, something needs to be done in our medical system where we are testing for this way earlier than we are. Because why all of a sudden, boom, this cancer has risen out of nowhere to be one of the top killers in the world right now. Yeah, lack of funding I, and a lack of awareness happens. It happens real quick. It happens like literally overnight. It, it's easy to for it to happen. I think the big piece is you know awareness. You know, and and clearly the system we're 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 treading water a little bit, right? Like within the systems a bit. And you know, one of the things you know I want to bring up, which is a good segue here, is you know your access to care, right? Like I know you're traveling quite a bit. I know before we hit record, you said like it's really difficult because in El Paso there's not really a major cancer center, which I th think is kind of weird, uh, because I know El Paso is such a big entryway, but also a big city itself. It's not like it's a it's a small town, um, which is kind of well, interesting. El Paso, I we're population wise, we're. I want to say eight hundred thousand, close to a yeah. Million. That's what I. That's what and, I mean. Like, there's not a major we, cancer. The crazy thing is, we have what is literally right across the street. You have another 
800,000 people there, probably, if not a million. Why isn't there a major I mean, cancer research thing or facility here? Why is that? I mean, I don't have that answer. That? <laughs> yeah, I don't have the answer either. And like I said, I understand we are a border town and everything, but you know what? With the population here, there should be something. I mean, a bigger cancer institute here. I said, my niece, she just is in remission now from leukemia. Thank God they have that here for her. She didn't have to, she doesn't have to do the travel that I did and everything. She's in recovery. Great. She had that here, but there's other types of kids that, okay, you got pancreatic colon. Why aren't there specialists here? Why do we have to travel to San Antonio, to Dallas, to Houston, to speak with the specialists to get looked at and everything. I know Paso is a major city. We should, we need that here. Yeah. Better access to care. Right. So right. that's something that, uh, you know, and I think you, I go back to something that you said though, which is critical is making sure you work with specialists. And so that's something that I know we advocate a ton about, you know, finding wherever that group may be, find specialists, don't rely on generalists. And, and that is such critical piece to, to this whole kind of Pandora's box with pancreatic cancer. Uh, because as you mentioned, you know, thank God that GI doctor, uh, he deserves an award, you know, coming to you and saying, Hey, like, let's get you over to specialists and, and kind of putting ego aside and also knowing, you know, that this could potentially be a game changer, you know, for you getting into those specialists. Exactly. I, mean, you don't ever, I, mean, all right. You're sitting there and, oh, this is happening to you. Well, okay, well, let's go speak to a specialist now. Don't take the first, here, don't take the first offer. And there's always something, hey, the first offer may be the right one. Don't get me wrong. But, hey, let someone who specializes in this give you the full data. Hey, maybe this could be done for you. I mean, maybe this, hey. We could go this route. Oh, diet. Okay, chemo. There's all I what I've learned here. There's all kinds of research going on with it. This is there's stuff going on. You could go to a clinical trial. I'm not gonna say it's gonna work, but hey, you're doing something. You're not just going home and like the first doctor told me, go home and get prepared. I mean, you're you're fighting for your life, you're not giving up. And we should never give up. I mean, there's always something. You got to fight. I mean, if you don't want to fight, hey, take that first doctor's offer then. Believe him. And I don't want to die. Hey, I want to live a long life. I have a nine-year-old son. I want to see him graduate. I want to see him get married and have kids and everything. Hey, so I'm going to fight for it. I mean, heck, my daughter's 30. I want to see her get married. I have an 18 year old. I want to, I mean, I have a lot of life to live still. I'm not just going to roll over and die and leave my kids here with no parents. My older two, I mean, both their moms died when they were 15, 16 years old of cancer. I mean, I don't want to leave them without a parent right now. There's still a lot of life in they still need me around 
I mean, yeah, my daughter's older. She's living her life, but you know what? She still needs dad. She'll still call me. She, I mean, who's going to walk her down the aisle? My son, he's 18, just getting ready to graduate high school. Just lost his mother last year. Mm. He still needs me. I mean, he's planning on colleges and everything. He needs my advice. I'll call him. He's like, hey, he's wrestling. I was like, all right, you need to work on this. You need to work on that. He still needs my advice. My youngest, he's nine. I got a lot of knowledge still to pass on to him and everything. I mean, I don't want to leave him nine years old. I couldn't imagine growing up without my dad at that age. And so, no, you got to fight. And that's it. That's, uh, that's so powerful, Tommy. Um, and on that note, uh, one of my questions here was family. And I know you've mentioned family quite a bit here. Um, you mentioned your dad, your aunts, your uncles. You've mentioned your wife a bunch. Uh, now you just talked about your kids. So I know it's 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 not easy for anyone in this. But what has it been? You mentioned your wife's kind of like the the, uh, the architect or the planner. She's going out. She's doing the research. So let's talk about the family here and, and you, with you going through this fight. Um, and I know you mentioned your cousins before, your nieces, you know, and, and you know, them and getting upset when, when they saw you losing all the weight. So what's that been like for, for you with, with having so much family? Because, you know, I always say this, no one does this alone. You mentioned your wife's helping you coordinate everything, but I'm sure there's maybe other maybe family members or, you know, whether it's to call the support or just to see, check in how you doing. How's that been? Oh, it's been great is uh, like my stepmother. She uh, she went through this with my dad and I love her to death. Sheva, you're great. (laughs) And uh, she actually she'll call to check on me. But what I love is she calls my wife. To check on her and that's what a lot of people need to realize too is yeah you you're related to the person going through this yeah you're calling them which i get calls messages but i love it i prayers appreciated and i know it's only out of love that people are supporting and everything and that are concerned but uh, you have to remember People have partners that are, are going through this too. And you don't realize the struggle that they're going through. Like my wife, God bless her. I, I know she's stressed out and everything. She's the only breadwinner right now. She's all the bills are on her. She's got to watch out for our son. She's running me to chemo, running me to specialist and all this. And it takes a toll on them too, their mental health. Like last night, we had a discussion, me and my wife, she's like, okay, if we have this uh, surgery, if they decide on the surgery, she said, I want you to schedule it for this time. I was like, okay, well, that's really not my decision. I was like, but (laughs) this is the doctor's decision. And I was like, she goes, but if we have a say, she goes, I want you... And I go, okay, well, why? She goes, 
well, I said, well, she works for a nonprofit and her job, they're going to a retreat in San Antonio for a couple of days. She goes, I really want to go on this retreat with her job. She goes in, she goes, I need to decompress. She goes, this has been, and I, and I told her, no, I understand that. She goes, I need something for me for a minute. And she goes, dealing with this, she goes, she's like, you don't know how much I cry over this. I said, no, babe. I said, I know you're not crying in front of me. She goes, she, I go, you're sitting in the car and crying on the way home. And she's like, yes, yeah. she goes, I need just to decompress and get a clear head again. And she's going through a lot. And I, like I said, thank God for my stepmother. She calls and checks on her. But I think a lot of more people need to check on the significant others. Yes, you're checking on your loved one, but there's partners that you need to look in on too because they're going through it. And thank God her her parents are great. I mean, they've, they check on her all the time. They just live on the other side of town and they've been great since we found out everything about it. And they're really concerned about me and they ask a lot of questions and, but we have to watch out for our significant others too, because this is breaking their hearts too. And like I said, I, I believe I'm lucky. I'm in the early parts, early stages, hopefully. I don't know yet, but I, the people that are in the later stages, I, you're losing a loved one. And yeah, people are coming to visit, say their goodbyes and everything, but you got to look what the husband and the wife are going through, what the kids are going through. I mean, you need to check on them too. I mean, like when my son first found out he knew something was wrong, my youngest, because I had lost so much weight. Mm. And then we got diagnosed and he started acting out and he was like, dad's dying. I mean, because I honestly, I looked really bad. And I was like, we had to sit down and talk with him. It's like, no, I'm not dying, Ronnie. Uh, you just need to. We we had to tell him. I mean, you, there was no point in hiding. He knew something was wrong. So we had to tell him, hey, dad has cancer. And the last visit to the specialist, we took him. So it's like. We include, he's seeing, and he's seeing me getting not better, but I put on weight. I'm not as tired that, okay, dad's back door. He knows he can't jump on me and everything like he used to because of the port. But he, he sees me that I'm getting back to dad again, that my energy is getting back and everything. And he's getting back to normal. But yeah, that's powerful, Tommy, because uh, no one fights alone. And I think especially when you have a family unit, regardless of the cancer, and I've seen this, uh, you know, with people with different types of cancers, young and old, the family is impacted in, in their own way, right? Even though they, they're not going through the treatments, your wife's not going through the treatments like you are being impacted. Your son's not going through the treatments physically, but from a mental standpoint, um, they're all impacted, 
right? And everyone plays a part. And uh, it's it's thank you for sharing that because I I know you know giving us a glimpse into what your family is going through is probably not easy opening up that way. But as I've said, you know, maybe someone listening um, that's going through it right now with their family and, and maybe they have a nine-year-old son or daughter can relate to that. And that's powerful to know that they're not alone. You know, right. like what they're experiencing isn't, isn't odd. It's not, it's not just them. Um, yeah, it, it is just them that they are going through the same fight, but maybe there's some hope and some resilience in the fact that, hey, a child acting out because a parent's going through this cancer diagnosis is okay. Um, it's okay for that to happen. Um, it's important to be there for them and and to try to get help. And whether that's talking through it or getting you know specialists or someone along those lines to help you through that process, or maybe family members, or maybe groups. Right there's there's plenty of groups in this space. Um, not only Project Purple that have various supports and various various things out there, um, but it's okay. Right. And, and this is where, you know, having these hard conversations and, and talking about these hard subjects, you know, is, is where we, we hopefully create change, yeah, you know, create change for you guys and for the next person. Yeah. That's like when my diagnosis came uh, and we seen my son starting to act out was one of the first things we did was we, my wife went and told the school, Hey, his father was diagnosed. Uh, he needs to speak to the counselor and everything yeah. he's starting to act out and everything and we the school noticed it and everything and he even i remember one day he he goes to school with his cousins and everything and in the mornings they all meet at the grandma's before grandma and grandpa's before they go to school and uh yeah he ended up beating on his cousin and that never happened before and then he got into it with the other cousin, then got in trouble in school that day and got a detention. And we're like, well, we need to let the school know. Yeah. And the school, they asked him, Ronnie, why are you? He's like, my dad has cancer and he's dying. And he, he doesn't understand that I'm not dying. He Correct. Just, yeah. I mean, he's, like I said, at that time, I still looked bad and he was scared. And like I said, I don't, know if he's the counselors have talked to him i mean but the schools i mean definitely tell your kids school if you're going through something like this because there are people that they your kids can go talk to about hey what's going on at home and how they're feeling how they're taking it i mean and it's like i said we sat with my son and we explained everything <clears throat> to him and i think Taking him with us to the specialist was one of the best things we could have did because after that, he's seeing, like me and my wife, there's light at the end of the tunnel. And he's like, okay, dad's starting to look good again. Dad's getting back to his cell. And it's like, good. And yeah, we're on a good path with him right now. And my wife, she's, like I said, she's, She's a strong woman, and uh, I'm glad I waited till I was in my 40s to, uh, to pick a wife. <laughs> Smart man. Smart, right man. Smart man. Good answer there. Thank you for sharing that, Tommy. Um, I got one last question for you, and then we're going to share where our audience can connect with you. Uh, this last question, um, if you listened to the podcast before, 
you know, probably know it's coming. Um, there's no right or wrong. It is a loaded question, but given your experience, what you've gone through and just what everything that you've experienced through this, this time frame, um, how do you define the word pancreatic cancer? What's your definition? There's no right or wrong. It's, it's your definition. That's kind of tough. Cause, uh, like I said, I had my dad go through it. Now my journey's just begun. Um, how would I define it? I, for me, it was more of a, an awakening, I guess is like, yeah, I've been Superman my whole life. I've been like my sense of daddy, you the Hulk. I've been this big, strong guy. And this was, yeah, I'm not that big, strong guy no more. Um, it knocked me down to my knees, basically. And it's like, hey, this is a wake-up call. It's uh, it's not the end. This is a new beginning for me. This is my, they say when you get married through sickness and health, well, this is my sickness. And I said, I don't feel that this is a death sentence. And I feel that my journey is just beginning that I'm going to I'm here to somewhat inform, enlighten, give people hope. All right, that's my definition. As I'm, I know I'm not going to sit here. Yeah, I know there's going to be good days. There's going to be bad days. But I'm here to show people, hey, you can get through this. I, I believe that's my journey right now. That, hey, it's not a death sentence. And hey, you could still live your life with this and go on. Yeah, you're going to struggle. But hey, as long as you're enlightening people, showing them what's going on, maybe you're going to make their life a little better and show them, hey, you can go through this and you can come out the other end a better person. It's pretty powerful stuff, Tommy, to have that uh, that view of, of the world right now with with everything you've gone on. So um, I want to thank you for for sharing that with us, and and just I hope our audience really takes that to heart uh, because this disease is is pretty pretty ugly, uh, but there's hope, like you said. You know, there's hope. And and I think, you know, I go back to what you said before about mindset. You know, I, I think that's critical here. And, and, you know, I think in various parts in this conversation, you shared with our audience, you know, just that mindset, you know, and, and you know, I know we were, we were, we were kidding, but we weren't kidding and what you called yourself. Yeah. But I, I think when you go through something traumatic, you know, and, and something that's the life, life altering here, um, you know, yeah, you, you kind of have to, you have to be that way, um, in a good way. Right. And, and, and that's where this is, uh, this is the game changer, you know, so powerful stuff. Thank you for sharing with our audience. Our last thing here, someone listening to this that may be going through a similar experience. Maybe there's a family member. I know you mentioned, you know, you're, you're journaling this on social media. 
where should our audience follow you on social media? And what I'm going to ask is everyone listening to this podcast, go out and follow Tommy on this journey so you can learn about what he's going through when he's going through his journey. And, and let's help uh, amplify what he's doing on social as well. So where's the best place for that? Yeah, uh, you can find me on TikTok, TikTok at Tommy Oliveira's. Uh, and like I said, ever since I diagnosed, uh, I've been taking people on a journey, my journey. And then I'm also on Facebook. It's Tommy Oliveira's. And you can find me there. But if you want to watch videos, uh, I discuss what I've gone through when I go through chemo and everything, how my day is. And if I'm feeling just the side effects, I it's my journey. And I think uh, people need to see what someone with pancreatic cancer goes through in this with this diagnosis as the treatments and hey, maybe it will enlighten some people's eyes and hopefully raise some money for you guys. Uh, it's not about raising money for us. It's about bringing awareness to what you're opening up and uh, you know sharing with us. So I got you here, Tommy Oliveras. Uh, if you type that in, that'll come up. And it's there's actually there's a couple Tommy Oliveras. How could there be more than one Tommy Oliveras here on uh, TikTok here? But I guess <laughs> My, well, like I said, I have a huge family. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I have a huge family. I, I have a hundred first cousins. Oh my God, that's all. Your your family reunions must be a lot of fun. I'll say that. Oh, we can never get <laughs> us all together. There's too many. It's uh, but the handle on uh TikTok here is Tommy Oliveras with a zero. I guess is that yes. or is that a no? Yeah, it's a zero. Uh, zero. Okay, perfect, perfect. Tommy, thank you for being a guest here on the Project Purple Podcast. I look forward to following you. I just followed you on TikTok when we started this, when you told me. So uh, I, I look forward to watching your videos and, and thank you for all you're doing for the pancreatic cancer community. And as you said, um, you know, you said so many golden things here, but keep being you is what I wrote down here. Um, I think that's going to be your strength in all this. I know that's going to be your strength in getting through this is you continuing to be you, uh, which has gotten you to this point. So uh, thank you for sharing your journey with our audience. Oh, you're welcome. And that's all I can be is me. So I love it. Right? I love it. I'd love to talk to you guys again. Just reach out. Awesome. That's a wrap of another episode of the Project Purple Podcast. If you like what you hear, Feel free to share this episode and also follow us wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you for listening. And that's a wrap of another episode of the Project Purple Podcast. <laughs>